Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. Well, hey, let's get ready to dive into our word. You guys got room for the word today? All right. Well, hey, listen, um, every Mother's Day, we do something different. My wife has spoken. We've had a panel of mothers. We've had guest speakers. And um, one of the things that I've heard repeatedly is that as much as moms love hearing a, a message to them, there are a lot of moms that are like, but pastor, this is like the one time all year I get my kid to come to church. So could you also talk to them? Like, I want to hear about the Proverbs 31 woman, but could you talk to my husband? He actually showed up to church today. Could you talk to my son or daughter? They actually showed up to church today. So what I'm going to do today is bring a message that I hope is going to reach everybody. All right. So I'm going to do my best to reach everybody. So go with me to the book of John chapter 7. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet for just a few moments while we read the scriptures. It's our custom to stand for the reading of the word. And um, after that, I'll seat you and I'll stay standing for the next 30 minutes. Sound okay? All right. John chapter 7 verses 1 through 9. We'll get the verses up on the side screens if you don't have a Bible to read. It says this. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea, because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, now I want you to watch what Jesus' brothers said to him. Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told his brothers, My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. We're like watching a fight between Jesus and his brothers. If you're wondering, did Jesus fight with his brothers? This is a fight. <laughs> this is a quarrel right here. So, so moms, if you ever wonder, like, why do my kids fight so much? Listen, Jesus' brothers fought with him, all right? So you're in good company. But I want to talk to you on this thought for just a moment. There's one in every family. There's one in every family. Let's pray together, and we're going to dive into the word. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this day. Thank you for all the incredible things that you are doing here. I thank you, God, for the worship that's already gone forward. Pray now, Father, as we turn to your word, that you'd speak to us. I pray right now, God, that we would open up our hearts and our minds to receive your word. And, Father, as I speak corporately, that you would speak individually to every person that is here in this room. We ask all this in your name, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Clap your hands all together one last time, and you may be seated. Now. I'm going to ask you a question right now, but before I ask that question, and I'm getting a little ringing up here, if you can just take down the highs just a bit, I'm going to ask you a question, and, and, and I want to set this question up before I ask you this question, okay? Uh, because have you ever heard um, someone respond to their mom 
and it told you a lot about that person. Like, like just one thing, just this one word that this person said to their mom, and it gave you a lot of information about this person. And you couldn't help but judge them. I know you judge them. I know you judge them. You'll see what I'm talking about in just a minute. How many of you, when your mom called you, there was only one way to respond to your mom when she called you? How many know that when she called you, the only way you were going to get dinner, the only way she was not going to put hands on you, the only way that she was going to let you live is if you said, yes, mom, right? Yes, mom. Now, now, how many of you ever went to a house, visited a friend, some of them clearly without Jesus, and uh, <laughs> you were there, and uh, their mom called them by their name, Johnny, and they said, What? How many ever witnessed this? What? Doesn't that one response to you tell you so much more about that kid, right? Like, that's not just the way they treat their mama, but that's like the way they brush their teeth. That's the type of student they are. Like, that tells you so much about that kid. And you're wondering, like, you talk to your mom like that and live? Like, we, in my house, you couldn't say what to mom. And my, and listen, now that I'm a father, catch one of my kids saying what to my mom. I'm like, whoa, you know, it's like, I'll be watching the game. You say what to my wife? I come off the couch real quick, all right? Might hurt something in the process, but I get off that couch real quick. It's like, like you don't say what to your mom. You say, yes, mom. That's the way we talk to our moms, right? But when you hear that kid say that, you're like, dude, you're that kid that gets options for dinner, huh? You, like, start to judge them. Like, you're that kid that's allowed to bring home lunch from school. Like, like you're that type of kid that grew up with a time out Whatever it is, it's like you judge them right away off of that one response. But, but that, th- those sort of things and that sort of quarrel and that sort of back talk, it's as funny as it is. And it's funny we're going to talk about that on Mother's Day. We see some of that here in the text. We see that here in John chapter 7. And I'm going to just let you all know because not everyone knows this, but Jesus had brothers here on this earth. So, so it, they, they're more technically known his half-brothers, okay? So Jesus' mother was Mary, but his father was God. She was conceived supernaturally by the Holy Spirit, but then Mary went on to have other children through her husband, Joseph, and, and these are his brothers that we read about, uh, read about, and they're all throughout the New Testament. So I, I want to insert that because some people, you know, they, they struggle with that. They don't know that to be true, but that, but that is absolutely true. Jesus had brothers, and today I want to talk to you about his relationship with his brothers on this Mother's Day, and, and, and in particular, I want to talk about Jesus' relationship with his brother, James. Everybody say James. So what I've been doing since Easter, and Easter we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, but what I've been doing since Easter is I've been looking at all the different places that we read about in the scriptures where Jesus appeared to someone. He stayed on the earth for 40 days after his resurrection, and he made appearances. And when he did, there's so much that we glean from those encounters, those interactions. And what I find every time is a principle. And so I want to talk about Jesus' appearance to his brother James. But, but before we get there, we need to talk about John 7. So in my Bible, if I open my Bible to the book of John and chapter 7, it has a header. And the header says this, the disbelief of Jesus's brothers. The disbelief of Jesus's brothers. Wow. If you thought your brothers didn't have your back, like Jesus's brothers didn't have his back. Jesus's brothers didn't believe 
who he was. Now, what's crazy about that to me is this is in John 7. What did Jesus do before this? Let me, let me give you a list of some of the things Jesus did, and yet his brothers still didn't believe in him. Number one, he had already turned water into wine. And for some of you, that was like his greatest miracle that he ever did. You're like, a resurrection is cool, but that wine right there, that's the one right there. Um, Jesus had already healed a nobleman's son. He had already healed a paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. Watch this now. Jesus had already fed 5,000. Somebody say 5,000. He had already fed 5,000 people with five pieces of bread and two sardines. You know what I mean? And, and Jesus, now here's the last one right here. Jesus had already walked on the sea. He, he, he had already walked on the water. And in John chapter 7, his brothers are like, no, nah, fam, I don't believe in you. Now, for me, I'm like, how could you not believe? Like, like, how could you not believe in Jesus after all of this stuff? And so in John chapter 7, what we're, what we're seeing is, is we're seeing a fight. We're seeing a feud between Jesus and his brothers. And it's funny that it's Mother's Day and I'm talking about kids fighting, but, you know, it just seems very appropriate. But, uh, but, but we see this fight between all of them because they were very mad at him. And the reason I believe they were very mad at him is because you got to go to John chapter 6. Because in John chapter 6, we get something called context. Somebody say context. How many know that there's always context? There's always context. So what happened? In John chapter 6. Well, the Bible records that Jesus, uh, he had all kinds of people around him because he's a profound teacher of the scriptures and he's working miracles and healing people. And so there's all kinds of people around him. And then he gives a teaching on manna. He gives a teaching on communion and he gives a teaching on eternity. And when all of that was done, this is what the Bible says. Many people left that day. Many of his followers were like, I'm out on that day. John chapter six on that day. They were like, I'm out. And it was so bad. The result of that teaching was so bad. That's why in verse one of John seven, John records that Jesus had to stay away from Judea because they wanted to kill him there. Now, now all these miracles aside, that one teaching made everybody want to kill him in Judea, and now his brothers have a problem with him. If you're wondering, what, what, what's so bad about all of that teaching? The, the issue with all of that teaching, I want you to catch this now, is now Jesus is saying, I'm not just a rabbi, I'm not just a prophet, but I am sent from God, I am the Messiah. And now people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. hold on a minute. You see, they could get with the miracles, why? Because in the Old Testament, they had already... They had already seen the miracles of Elijah. They had seen the miracles of Elisha. They had seen all these things happen in the Old Testament. So they could, they could get with Jesus being a prophet because they've seen that before. But the minute he said he was the Messiah, they were like, I'm out. Like, like I don't know about that. Like, like you're Joseph's son and, and, and your brother's James. That's what they would say about him. He's just a carpenter's son. How could he be the Messiah? And so not only was Jesus facing backlash, but his family was facing backlash. Now his family was starting to deal with Jesus' problems. And that's the reason why here in John chapter 7, verse 3, Jesus' brother said to him, would you leave Galilee and will you please go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works that you do? They were out on Jesus. 
I want you to catch this lighthouse church. They were out on him in that moment. So that's why I said a prophet is without honor in his own home. He can't do anything because at home, they were out on him. They, they, they were okay when he was a healer. They were okay when he was a prophet. They were okay when he was a rabbi. But the minute he began to hint to them that he was the savior of Israel, they were like, no, we don't believe that. And, and, and here's the reason why. And I'm, now I'm getting ready to teach now that you got all the context. Somebody say familiarity. Familiarity. What is familiarity? Well, Jesus' brothers could not receive him as the Messiah because of familiarity. They were familiar with him. And here's what familiarity will cause you to do. It will cause you to take something that should be special and treat it as common. It will cause you to take something that should be special and you start treating it as common. Now, before you, you start casting judgment on the disciples, we all do this, right? We all have the tendency to, to just get used to something. We all have the tendency to just treat things as familiar. And, and church, you're going to be fighting this battle of familiarity now for the rest of your life. Because the closer you get to God and the more you see him work in your life, you will get to a place where you might just start seeing it as ordinary. And like we said a few weeks ago, there's nothing ordinary about our God. I thought I'd get an amen out of that one. <laughs> there, there's nothing ordinary about our God. And because they had gotten so familiar with Jesus, they could not receive him as the Messiah. But we do this too. We have the propensity to when we see God and just come to church, it's what I do on Sunday. I check the box. It's just a part of my life. It's my lifestyle. We can get very familiar with the presence of God, and we can get very familiar with Jesus. So how do we fight familiarity? How do we learn a lesson from the disciples on what not to do? How, how, do, we, how do we fight back familiarity? It's got one word, okay? And that word is called revelation. Somebody say revelation. Revelation is God's way of showing himself to you beyond his written word. Okay? And say that one more time. Revelation is God's way of showing himself to you beyond his written word. I've said this before. I'm going to probably say this for the next 20 years that I'm pastoring this church, if not longer or, or shorter, whatever. Uh, but, uh, but the primary way God reveals himself to you is through his word. Somebody say my Bible. Okay, this is the primary way, not, not through TikTok, all right? <laughs> I don't care who the preacher is. The primary way, my mom's looking at me. I give her a hard time because she's all over in TikTok. Yes, my retired 60-something-year-old mama is all over TikTok. But anyway, <laughs> let's give it up for my mom. Love you, mama. The minute I said TikTok, she started busting up. <laughs> my mom's cooler than yours. Anyway, um, <laughs> the primary way that God is going to reveal himself to you is through his word. But, but, but. The other way that he is going to reveal his way, his self to you, because that's primary. Everybody say primary. The next way, and I want you to get this in your spirit. The next way that God reveals himself to you is through revelation. That's the only other way beyond his word. First, we go to his word. But there will be times when God will reveal himself to you in such a powerful way outside of his written word. It's a secondary way that he does. It's called revelation. Now, let me teach you what revelation is, because sometimes we get this real spooky understanding of what revelation is, and it's not spooky at all, okay? What revelation is, is you finally seen something that always existed. It was just out of your sight. Now you can see it. <gasps> revelation. So, so if, if this table, if the whole service... I did not see this table because it was behind me. And all of a sudden, I decide to turn around and I see the table. I was like, oh, revelation. I saw that table. But the table was always there. It, it, it didn't just show up. 
It, it didn't appear out of nowhere. That would be creation. So what revelation is, is you finally start seeing the God who is always there. You finally start seeing the God who's always been there. You finally start seeing the God who loved you even when you didn't love him. You finally start seeing the God who cared about you even when you didn't care about him. You finally start seeing the God that knows your name. The Bible says he's got every hair on your head counted. He formed you. He knows you. He knows what makes you smile. He knows what makes you sad. He knows what triggers you and he knows what he's got to do to get you into his presence. He knows you. And revelation is when you finally start seeing the person who's always seen you. Revelation is you finally getting a glimpse of the God who has always seen you. So because Jesus' brothers were treating Jesus as familiar. Say that one more time. Say familiar. There's only one way that they're going to get a glimpse of who Jesus is, and that is through revelation. And so when we get to the letter of Corinthians, Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth, and he says that Jesus showed himself to James. This is the one we're talking about today. He showed himself to James after he resurrected. So, so let, let's kind of let's count some of the things we've talked about. He showed himself to the two men, on the road to Emmaus, he showed himself to the disciples that locked themselves in because of fear of the Jews. He showed himself to Peter and all the fishermen in Galilee when they went back to fishing after Jesus had you know, been gone for a few weeks. And then the Bible records that he showed himself to James. He, he made it a point to get to where James was and show his resurrected self to James. Could you just imagine for a moment what that must have felt like for James? Can you think for a moment how that encounter could have gone for James? Because, I mean, after James is like, could you just go to his brother? Think about that. It's not just his brother. It's Messiah, right? And he just tells him, could you go? Like, you're just a problem for the family now. Could you just go to Judea and just go do your works? Could, could, could you just leave? The Bible doesn't record any further interaction between Jesus and James. There's nothing written. Like that that may have been the last. It may not have been the last. We don't know for certain. I can't say for sure. But I will tell you that James had some words for Jesus. And I think it's so incredible that Jesus makes it a point to go back to James. He, he makes it a point to go back to his brother that was just over him. He made it a point to go back to his brother that didn't believe in him. He made it a point to go back to his brother that had kicked him out of the house. And and here's the beautiful thing, and this is what I want you to get about God. This is what we learn about God. If you're taking notes, write this down. Just because you are done with God, it doesn't mean that he's done with you. Just because you're done with God, it doesn't mean that he's done with you. Jesus only had 40 days here on earth after his resurrection, and every single minute... 
Every single moment was intentional. He wasted no time and he wasted no appearances, but there was one person that he needed to get back to. There was one person that he really had to talk to. There was one person that he really needed to reveal himself to. Why? Because he's the God who comes back. I said he's the God who comes back and he'll come back again and he'll come back again and he'll come back again. Listen to me. He is not done when you are done. He is done when he is done. He's not done when you're done. Some of you are like, I'm just done with Jesus. Fine, be done with him, but he's not done with you. I'm done with the church. Fine, but he's not done with you. So listen to me, son, daughter, husband. You came because your mom asked you to come. I don't know what the condition of your heart is, but if you're done with God, I just came to boldly and lovingly tell you that he's not done with you. He loves you. He cares for you. He's got a plan for your life, and he's got a purpose for your life. He keeps coming back, and he's going to keep on coming back for you until you will receive his love, until you can restore a relationship with him because that is his desire. And, and this encounter is such a powerful encounter. I'm coming to a close now. This encounter, and again, I wish, I wish I knew what happened. When I get to heaven, I'm looking for James. I'm going to ask him. I'm, it's going to go something like this. James, what happened? What did he say to you? <laughs> How'd you feel? You know, like a big Jesus, mostly, you know, like a big gospel. How'd you feel? I mean, you kicked him out. I read about it in the Bible. You know? Be like that guy. I'm going to be that guy with James. I'm like, I saw what you did to him. What did he say to you? That's going to be me anyway. I'm, I'm digressing. So I don't know exactly what happened. I don't know what was said. Nothing is recorded. Paul just said that Jesus revealed himself to James. But here's what happened. After that, James was all in. I mean, James was all in. Listen, James was not one of the 12 disciples. He, he wasn't one of the 12 that walked with Jesus. Why? Because he couldn't receive him as the Messiah. James had an issue with Jesus. He, he was not there. He's just not present. You read your Bible. Go see how many times you find James in the crowd. You don't. He's just not around. He's got a problem with Jesus. And yet Jesus shows up, reveals himself to James. And after that moment, James was in. I mean, he was all in. This is why you need a revelation of Jesus in your life. He can't just be your Mother's Day Jesus. And I'm glad you're here. He can't just be your, your, Christ, your Easter and Christmas Jesus. He, he's got to be your personal Lord and Savior. Uh, you've got to get a revelation of him that it will so mark you. It's going to change the direction of your life in the direction of him, in the direction of his plans for you, into his purpose for you. And, and, and the, the apostles, this is why I love the Bible. This is why I love church history because there's just so much like just reality to it. It's just so real. It's just so real. Um, James had an incredible encounter with Jesus and so much so that um, his life was completely redirected and he was completely sold out to the church. And because he was sold out to church and sold out to God, he had a nickname. The apostles gave him a nickname. Y'all ready for it? Camel knees. <laughs> I thought it was funny. They called him camel knees. They had no chill, the apostles. Do you want to know why they called him camel knees? Because he prayed so much. And the early church fathers record that his knees were so calloused that the same James that told Jesus to go away and rejected him now would not stop praying. He was so marked by Jesus that they called him camel knees. Like this dude just prayed and prayed and prayed till his knees were so callous that they called him camel. He had such a life-changing encounter. It doesn't stop there. The Bible records that he was so sold out to the mission of the church 
that when Peter, Peter was the first leader, elder of the church in Jerusalem, but when, leader, when, when Peter went on to some missionary work, James, who wasn't even one of the 12, James became the next leader of the church in Jerusalem. They gave him a better nickname later. He's also called James the Just, just so you know. Kind of sounds like a superhero, but anyway. <laughs> Depending on what day of the week, you could call him Camel Knees or James the Just, all right? Uh, um, again, I love church history. You just like learn things and you're like, they had no chill back there. Savage, just like today. Um, but if you read your, your, your Bible in the book of Acts, I believe it's in chapter 15, they, they hold a council in Jerusalem as to how should we treat the Gentiles that are starting to come to the faith in Jesus? How do we treat them? And there's this big council that's had. Peter shows up. Remember, Peter had that, that vision of a sheet of animals coming down, clean and unclean. And I'm sorry for those of you that don't know this part of the text. Let's just say this. Peter had a dream and God spoke to Peter through a dream that revealed to him that he could not stop calling the Gentiles unclean. Peter was racist and God was washing away his racist heart. And so Peter comes back and is like, man, God spoke to me in a dream. Because again, when he doesn't reveal himself to you through his word, he'll do it through revelation. So God spoke to him in a dream. And when he comes back, you read all about it in Acts chapter 15, that they hold this council and they're deciding what to do. And then do you want to know who weighed in on the decision? It was James. It was James. James put out a letter to the churches. He said, okay, tell all the churches abroad that it seemed good to God that the Gentiles should be grafted into the church. Who did it? James. James. Now, now, as great as that is, James's most significant contribution to the church is his letter. He wrote a letter to the Jews, the Jewish believers in the church, because now we've got this multiracial church. Church is always supposed to be multiracial. Listen, the, the original institution that pushed back against racism was the church. I don't know if you know that. The church. Um, the reason I love talking about church history so much is the church gets a bad name. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. The church is not a, uh, the church is not a racist institution. I don't care what TikTok or Instagram tells you. And I don't care what some people who are too far on the right or too far on the left tell you. The original institution that pushed back against slavery was the church. It was the church, okay? And, 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 the, and for those that think that the church is not pro-life, because you hear that a lot right now, like, I just care about the babies, but you don't really care about the sick. No, 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 no. The first hospitals were founded by Christians. So just, I, I, you know, I'm not telling you what one way or another. Let me just tell you this. That's, that's how for life the church has always been. Hospitals were not founded by the left or the right. They were founded by the church. This is why I always tell you to watch the sides that you're on because we're not called to be right or left. We're called to be aligned with heaven. We're supposed to be aligned with the kingdom of God. Okay? I don't know why I said all of that, but anyway. So James's greatest contribution to the church is his letter. And, and if you've read James's letter, there's this one statement that his entire letter is known by. You may not even know that it was James that said this, but James said this. James said this. Faith without works is dead. If you've ever heard that, that wasn't Peter, that wasn't Paul, that was James. James said, faith without works. If you got faith, but you got nothing to show for it, I, I, I question your faith. Faith without works is dead. What was the last thing that James said to Jesus? Go to Judea so that they can see your works. Listen to me. James was sick of it. 
He was sick of the show. He was sick of the healings. He was sick of the water. All he was doing was bringing strife and problems. And now people were hating on their family. And James said, will you get your works and just get out of here? That's what it says. 7-3. Go to Judea so they can see your works. This was not, this, he wasn't building him up. He was like, would you get out of here with all of that clown show? Would you just get on out of here with all that miracles and stuff? You're causing problems for the family. They hate mom. They hate dad because you want to do all this stuff and now you're calling yourself the Messiah. Would you just leave? Would you just go? You end your works? But after James gets the revelation of Jesus, he says, faith without works is dead. The one thing that he condemned Jesus over, he now writes his letter to the church and he encourages them to do. You see, he used to despise Jesus because of his works. And now he's saying, unless I see your works, I don't know that you're really saved. That's the transformation that happened in the heart of James. One minute he's like, I'm sick of it. And the next minute he's like, we need more. We need more of it. Why? Because that's what happens when God reveals himself to you. And I'm just going to say this because you need to know this. Last thing, we're not saved by our works, but our works are the evidence of our salvation. We're not saved by our works. Nothing you can do could ever cause you to be saved or make God love you more, cause God to forgive you more. We're, we're forgiven. We're loved. All you can do is receive. That's the gospel. The go That's why it's the good news. It'd be bad news if you had to do all these things. <laughs> it's the good news because now all you have to do is receive. And it's crazy to me that so many people just won't receive that. Nah, I reject that. I, I don't believe that. You don't got to do anything. Receive it. Just, just, just receive and so we're not saved by our works, but listen, listen to me. The evidence of our salvation is works. The evidence of our salvation is how we live our life. And James the just and James old camel knees, he demonstrated that more than anyone else because he shows us, man, the minute I had an encounter with Jesus, it radically changed my life. I'm not the same person anymore. I hated my brother for doing works and now I can't stop doing them myself. And that's what I want for you today, Lighthouse Church. I want to honor all of our moms who are here right now, but I am talking to all of our sons and daughters and husbands that you're here and you're like, man, I'm just here to check a box, Pastor. I'm just here because my mama wants me here. I want to tell you that God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. He is for you. And I encourage you to find him for yourself because I'm glad that you're here but you won't be saved by your mother's faith in God. At some point, you've got to come to your own decision. And you're not saved by your father's faith. At some point, you've got to make this decision that I, too, want to follow Jesus. Right there where you are, would you close your eyes and bow your heads and let me lead you in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, for your presence. I thank you, God, for your spirit that's here. I thank you, God, for these moments to get into your word and to, to, to read about all that you have us. I, I see over and over all throughout the scriptures the way that you treated people is the way that you continue to treat us today. So much love, so much grace, so much mercy that even when we turned our back on you, you didn't turn your back on us. Even when we were done with you, you were not done with us. Even when we turned our back on you, you were always there to receive us. So right now, I pray over every person that does not yet know you. I pray right now that they get a fresh and a new and a first time revelation of who you are. On this Mother's Day, God, would you show up and be their God? Would you show up and be their Savior? God, the same way you revealed yourself to other people in times past, would you reveal yourself to them even now? We thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you, God, for your grace.
praise. Today, Lord, our heart's desire is that someone would receive you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, stand to your feet. We're going to worship right now with a few moments. Wherever you're at, would you lift your hands and let's just worship together with our worship team. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.